every single startup at some point has been told by a marketer or an agency, or maybe just an investor, you should be using influencers. And that's absolutely true. But there's so many questions like what, what is an influencer? How should I be using them? Who are good ones? Who are bad ones? How much should I be paying? What counts as a good campaign? These are all great questions. But luckily for you guys, today we have on Jenny Quigley-Jones. She is the CEO of Digital Voices and she is an absolute font of information for all of these questions. It's a great show with practical, simple, easily executable advice. And I hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's get straight into it. And let's go on the, the obvious question. Pretty much every time a founder starts anything, a marketing agency will say to them, hey, yeah, you should use influencers. And that's a, a massively broad term. And certainly for, for me and my experience, that could mean working with Kim Kardashian or somebody I've literally never heard of that has like a thousand fans on, on Instagram. So it's quite a broad topic, but can you whittle down in a quick nutshell, first of all, um, what is influencer marketing and why is it so important for, well, as a mechanism for startups to reach audiences? Influence marketing is essentially partnering with a content creator who has a following on any social media platform. And why is that important? If you look at the way content is being consumed and the way people are, where people are spending their time, over 4 billion people use social media globally. We're spending more times on social media and on our phones than watching traditional TV. So essentially brands need to find a way to connect with their customers and the best way to do it is through individuals online who have followings. You'll notice a lot of the time brands are like, can't we do our own social media instead? And startups often fall into this trap, if I'm honest. Startups are the most commonly like, we'll launch our own YouTube channel. Startups are also the most volatile places to work. And launching your own social media channel takes a hell of a lot of time and a lot of money. And people don't really want to connect with brands. They want to connect with people that they trust. They want to be entertained. They want to learn something. They don't really want to follow a brand channel all of the time. So startups should be using influencers to test their messaging, to get their content out there, to drive a passionate community so that they can prove that value proposition, raise more money, make more sales. Wow. That okay, that hit, me, that hit me in the face and I loved it. Okay, um, let's break into a few things there. The one that I, the big thing that I took away from that, look, I mean, everyone knows that social media is web parties app. Like there's a lot going on there. It's the easiest and quickest way to get eyes. One thing you said that, that was particularly interesting to me was like individuals don't want to associate with the brand and you see lots of startups trying to be these, trying to build huge brand profiles on Instagram and so forth. And I've done it myself. Is that, is that a dumb approach? Because I don't, I don't follow any, like any brand accounts. I mean, apart from Duolingo on uh, TikTok, which is if anyone hasn't followed it, the holy fuck that is a amazing good use of your time yeah yeah is that yeah. is it a bad use of my time because ultimately i can't build an audience and a relationship in the same way that maybe an individual can i think um once brands get to a certain level they can make brand statements and put ads on social media but startups you're right like you said you don't follow any any brands on social media apart from ryanair duolingo good good choices on tiktok but you don't want to. And you also don't follow them because you're like, I'm a massive Duolingo fan. Like I follow them and I don't use Duolingo. I follow them because it's funny. But for a brand to effectively like find a way that's cost effective and far more likely to succeed, they should definitely be partnering influencers and individuals instead of trying to build their own following. Because that can you can fall down a, a situation where you spend years chasing metrics. And also often startup founders aren't necessarily the right personalities for um for social 
Like startup founders are really, really good often at building companies. But should they spend their time trying to be the face of a brand or should they be hiring people who are like good presenters for their brand? Not necessarily. So I think it can be a real distraction when a brand's trying to start out and find its kind of value proposition. I, I love that. And so instead, I go after relationships with, with influencers. Now, that is such an easy statement to make. And every agency says to you, you need to work with influencers. And I said to you before, like, I don't even know, like, where to start or who I should be looking for. Yeah. Also, it's a bit of a, like, we've just recently had a really bad experience working with NFT influencers because, like, damn, they're full of shit. Like, you know what I mean? And there's really low engagement. You don't know what to look for. So give me, um, like, a, a, like, a few, like, bullet points on, first of all, like, I mean, don't give away the secret source of working with an agency like yourself, but, like, what should I be looking for? How do I figure out what kind of influencers I should be working with? And should I be spending a hundred grand on doing a single post with, you know, with uh, Kim Kardashian, or should I be working with these nano influencers You'd right be at lucky the bottom? For hundred grand. Well, <laughs> yeah, she she yeah, knows she's me. We're, we're, we're really tight. <laughs> we're best friends, and she's done me a favor. You know what? If anyone's listening to this podcast, they deserve the secret sauce. So, I'll, like, I'll be honest about all of it. That's fine. Oh, great. So, um, a few things. If you're approaching working with influencers, firstly, data tools, and this is really interesting because. Brands often don't have their own data tools and often agencies are winging it a little bit and don't have data tools either. So some do, some don't, some build their own, brilliant. But you should definitely make sure you're partnering with an agency if you are that has data tools and spends money on them. What kind of data what tools and what kind of data, yeah. So you know who your target customer is, right? You spent a lot of time, if you've raised any money as a startup, you have a target customer persona or a few. What we use data tools for is two for two primary reasons. One, we find creators whose audience that they already have matches that target customer. So if you're a UK only brand, what is the point in working with a creator who has millions and millions of US viewers and only 150,000 UK? So already that helps you make a better decision rather than just looking at someone's profile or looking at someone's content or looking at someone's follower number. You want to actually know which people you're going to engage. So data tools that tell you who your creator's audience are is like necessity for um, the first aspect. The second thing we do that's a bit different and a lot of other influence marketing agencies don't do, and this is not a sales pitch, so, you know, um, is that we have historic performance data on which creators converted for different brands. So if we've worked with a brand with a similar target customer profile to you, we can say, hang on, this person has viewers who match your target customer but they don't actually drive sales whereas that person has viewers that match your target customer and drive sales at a much higher rate so spend your money with them so that's a lot of um influence marketing agencies focus on mainly brand awareness so if they haven't done performance marketing campaigns in the past they won't have that data but definitely make sure that you're at least getting in front of the right eyeballs secondly you said uh should you spend all your money on a big one or partner with small ones this is where I would definitely do. There are two approaches. Definitely partner with more smaller creators, right? So you can that way test a few test messaging with different people. You can test your different target customer personas and tr work with a few creators to see how they engage that audience or how they would include your brand. And that way, you've got the insights, and then you only build on the successes rather than spending all your money on one person and it doesn't work out and you're like oh influencers don't work 
and then you're really disappointed mm. and you haven't even tested properly. So that's where I'd always start small and then scale up if you're trying to do something performance focused. Um, you can do that in-house. So a lot of people start, if they have a, if they have a physical product or if they have people who are obsessed with their brand and do follow them and message them on Instagram who might have followings, they often will do some of that initial testing in-house to be like, hmm, if I give someone free product or if I give them a little bit of money, does it work? And then they partner with an agency to test that at scale. Or they come to an agency from the beginning and say, hey, we know this is a testing stage. Can you test these different customer targets and help us? So you can either do it in-house a bit, test call to actions, test with big brand fans. But then when you're doing it seriously, I'd go to an agency. So that makes sense to me. So in terms of, so say we're, we're at that stage pre-agency, what's best practice for reaching out to an influencer? Do I just slide into their DMs and say, hey, what's up? Do you want to earn a couple of quid, whatever? Yeah. Like what, 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 what gets them excited? How do I, how should I be approaching these people? How, what does a, a typical relationship with an influencer look like? Yeah. So this is where it's really interesting. I think like approaching a creator, think about how you'd like to be approached. So it's never copying and pasting mass messages to loads of people. It shouldn't be. I think sometimes it shouldn't be messaging from your brand account. You could try and reach out and DM them personally or find their email that will often be on their YouTube or their Instagram account um, or, or on their TikTok channel in their bio and reach out and say, hey, I'm Tom. I, I see that you follow Stakester. Like I'm the CEO and we're really looking for feedback from creators who really understand our brand and are fans. Like I would love to hear your thoughts um, and we do have we do have budget set aside for this activation. Right. So you access them in a personal way. You show that you've done some research about them. It really helps if you're like, I saw your latest post on this or I've seen your moving country or how I was traveling in Vietnam. That personal aspect will make all the difference because they get thousands of messages. The other thing that stops you being ignored is saying you have money because the number of times influencers get like requests to do stuff for free or in exchange for product is obscene. Um, so I would make sure that you say that from the outset. Sometimes we have in our emails, we have like paid brand opportunity, like in the subject line because it gets them to open it. Yeah. Um, I think the days are long gone where kind of affiliate was enough. Um, cause you'll always get deprioritized and put at the bottom of the pile. And then once you've approached them and you've had a conversation with them and I would try and get them on a call if you can, or, or just something via email just to show that you're a real person. Once you've asked them creatively what they'd like to do and what they'd recommend, explained what your product is, what your ideal outcome is, then put a contract together. And I know most people don't want to do contracts. It, I think a lot of startups feel like that's too corporate. Yeah. But honestly, otherwise you can't withhold payment in exchange for the services you need. Yeah, sure. So in a very nice way, it lets it be a personal relationship with the control in your hands. That makes perfect sense. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation that we're having here today. Pretty cool, isn't it? But I really quickly want to tell you about a show that I really, really like called Secret Leaders. They have amazing content on there and some really great advice for founders. So you're about to hear from the host right now. So listen up. If you're an entrepreneur in the UK and want to hear some powerful lessons from founders of companies like Deliveroo, Joe Malone and Monzo, then check out the Secret Leaders podcast. Each week, I have a raw conversation with someone who's changed an industry like fertility, esports, raving and crypto, so you can build a better business. Want to learn how to bootstrap, create a magnetic brand, get your first customer or even fire your mum? 
Yep, that really happened to one of our guests. Search Secret Leaders in your podcast app. See you there. When you're going through that, so do you let them have complete creative control? You just give them, is it, is it better to just give them a few parameters or do you just, do you dictate what you want them to do? So this is really funny because the industry does it in a whole spectrum of ways. Some big brands send scripts and that goes really badly. Creators, it's, you know, and you can tell when you're speaking from a script, like, and you find it hard, per, like I, I really struggle with scripted stuff. Well, I'm incredibly natural. So it's you fine. Are, it's fine for such me. a this, talent. This whole thing yeah. is scripted and people don't realize that. Yeah. 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 We've gone through, we've, this is actually our seventh take. We've said the same Not answers. for me. I actually no. got it right first time. Yeah. yeah, of, course. yeah. of course he wasn't late as well. Um, so lots of brands do give scripts. The issue is creators will be like, I don't want to say this. So they'll really up the fees. There was also, oh, who did this? It was, um, yeah, Voxy did this campaign. And this black panel came up in the YouTube video. Like the next section of the video is sponsored by Voxy. It was a really weird way of, the, and then they said a scripted thing. And it was a really weird way of trying to adhere to ASA guidelines from an agency that really wasn't doing their job very well. Like that's not necessary. The way we do it is when we have talking points, that's like the key things that you need them to get across. And that's often based on successful calls to action you've had in your paid advertising or successful calls to action you've had in previous campaigns. And then you give them a degree of freedom. So for us, we we try to do an onboarding call with every creator in every campaign. And we say to them, hey, this is the product. This is what they're trying to get out of it. How would you integrate it? Like what type of format does really well for you? Is there something your audience have always wanted you to do that you haven't had the money to do? Is there type some content we could help you make that you think would fit in with this? I would preface this all with, you will hear from so many creators, influencers, and so many talent managers, oh, the influencer knows their audience best. Let them, let them be creative. They don't have the historic performance data from their previous campaigns. So when a brand sponsors a creator, you pay them, they send you the views, they'll send you like their analytics on who watched the content and they can read the comments. But they don't actually have your Google Analytics data. They don't have your Shopify data. So, so many times we, we get told, let creators be entirely free. And we're like, but they don't know what converts. And when, and we do. Because as an agency, we've got it from all our campaigns. As a brand, you've got it from your previous campaigns. So the people who do know are brands and agencies. So I would be very respectful of the creative process, but also say to them, hey, when you use this call to action, it works better. So yeah. you have to say that exact wording. Or legally, you're required to say this. So I appreciate your creativity, however. And that really helps. I like that. And on that, you mentioned a bit about Shopify there and Google Analytics. What are, which types of brands are influencers best suited for? Like should, should B2B SaaS companies doing it? Yeah. I mean, obviously like I, I know I'm on, yeah, I'm on Instagram and I get the most, I, they're very smart. They send me a lot of hair loss treatment ads. They come up a lot. It's how they know. I don't know. Because you've dwelled they, on them for too long. But they just know that's, yeah. that's something I'm going to need. Um, and it's just literally, I literally just get that and protein. It's like, I must be the most insecure man alive. Um, but they, um, but if you give away deep truth, what was it else I got the other day as well? And it was like, um, it was, I was really, I was like, this is too much. And they were like, um, 
uh, like stretchy t-shirts and stretchy clothes. And I was like, what, why do I, why do I want to wear a shirt that's, I don't understand this. What, have ever... How have they ascertained that I'm the audience that needs a stretchy waistband? I think it's because you're, um, you're, you're efficient. I think they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what like, it, yeah. it's like when it, a man one, wants like one top, yeah. one pair of chinos. Done. Correct. It was the pace in which I was scrolling. They knew yeah. I was an efficiency man. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was why. Yeah. But like, but, but that, that makes sense to me. But okay. should I be advertising on there if you're a B2B SaaS company? Yeah. So brands that should do it, the, the best brands for doing influence marketing, I mean, that scale really quickly and the clients we see scale quickest are D2C brands with like a hardcore e-commerce objective, because makes that sense. is like, how do you make influencers compete with paid or how do you make influencers support paid? That, that works really well. Also, anything brand awareness or brand purpose messaging. So um, anything to talk about like social purpose is, is really great. Um, diversity in hair care is really good. Pantene just did a campaign around that. So that, you can talk about that. That's brilliant. B2B is possible and we have some B2B clients. The thing with B2B advertising is you so rarely get to do an exciting campaign. Yeah, that's true. Like well, it's how many you LinkedIn? To, you should come to Stakes though. We've just yeah, you should come to Stakes though. We do a lot of cool campaigns. But you B two B, no? Yeah, B two B and B two B. Yeah, two, you're more. We've got, well, we've got two arms of the business. Yeah. So it's not about Stakes though. For those who are listening, please download the app. Yeah. Uh, so you just did a B two C ad there. Those and who those listening. who are businesses, uh, please find a way to monetize your platform. Through Stakes though. Um, but most B two B advertising is like oh another. It's like SEO or PPC or mm. another another ad on LinkedIn. So some of our B2B clients, often if they're trying to target entrepreneurs, they can work with influencers because there are so many people who define as entrepreneurs across the world and they will often be watching content that How do you approach those people? I would love the advice on yeah. how to find that entrepreneur <laughs> how to find them. Yeah. You'd often find um, creators themselves who are entrepreneurs or whose platform is about their entrepreneurial journey. We did a campaign in partnership with another agency for Meta um, and it was trying to encourage uh smes to look at using personalized ads because you know you, you want to find the right audience for your hair loss um hair loss tablets or whatever it is yeah. or your sprays or your hair transplant hair plugs that's it so um we so the whole point was to partner with people who had entrepreneurial authority and get them to talk to their entrepreneurs audience about the power of personalized ads so we worked with Stephen Bartlett as one of them um, and we had content go live across Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. And that worked really well. So you can still do it. You just have to do it in a considered way. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that... Please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So that answer that kind of moves on to the next question, which I wanted to ask you, is about becoming an influencer in some guise. Okay. So if you've got like, so you have a lot of people who are a lot of founders, particularly who are trying to raise their profile, and um, yeah, we're both doing it right now. But that, here we are. I know. Here we are. Oh, right. Course. And when you do that, you, there, is a, there, is a, there is an inflection point in which you think to yourself, well, maybe now I can monetize this. Okay. Maybe yeah. now someone, yeah, I have an engaged audience and I might want to, um, I'm, 
yeah, I might want to sell a product to them. If someone yeah. wants, yeah, if someone wants to me to sell their product to my audience, then come and yeah. talk to me. This actually happened with the founder of another influence marketing agency. They did a campaign for a phone and um, they didn't declare the ads correctly. And so they did it on LinkedIn, but they declared that it was sponsored at the very end, not the very top. Um, so it was quite funny when oh, we gosh. were like, this doesn't adhere to ASA guidelines in well, the comments done. and they edited it. I was like, that it was just, it was, it was the peak moment where I was like, come on. I'm so proud on. of you to troll <laughs> your competitors. I think it's really, it's really good. I think anything, I think. Everyone should, everyone needs that reality check sometimes. It's, so, I, you know. I'm pro trolling, generally speaking. <laughs> no. no, I am. I, I, as my competitors know, I often, every time we hit a milestone, I email my competitor. No, just, you don't. I do. I email them. I just email them. I email like, hey guys, just got 100,000 users. How's it going for you? Knowing full well they're way behind. I do it all the time. Oh, I just think Every that's time so we, evil. Correct. I, Every time we raise some money, I do the same thing. I'm encouraging a little bit of competition. Tom, it's a scarcity mindset. There's enough users to go around. There's enough money yeah, to so, go yeah, around. That's so you what, don't, that, you should have a growth mindset, not a scarcity I have got a growth mindset. mindset. I'm growing quicker than they are. That's, that's the, what it is. You shouldn't be driven by, oh, well, actually most I, entrepreneurs are driven by competition. I like competition. But, I like it. They, they control yeah. me back if they want. No, I'd, yeah. for me, it's not the competition. For me, it's like if your business is influencer marketing, at least declare your ads correctly, which is what you oh, you fun. tell, which is why brands pay us as an agency to make sure they're getting it right and they're not going to have legal issues, yeah. which is why we get in fights with creators all the time because they don't get in fights with creators, not like that. But we will often be pushing them to declare more clearly than sometimes they would want to. Sure, that like, makes sense. It's like, come on. I yeah, get yeah, that, that right. Get the well, legal part. Well, right. yeah, you know, I I've got no 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 sympathy for them. It's their job. <laughs> now look, if you so going on to that again. So how do you make that transition from being and at which point mm. can you start monetizing? So yeah. when do you become relevant? So like if you're on Instagram, at what point like if you've got there'll be people on this now who are listening who are entrepreneurs in their own right and they are creating content yeah. quite rightly so because you get like if there's one thing you should do as a founder, it's just create some content so people can find out who you are. And if yeah. you've got, if you are going through a journey and you are experiencing a struggle and you have overcome that struggle, people will want to hear about how you solve that problem. Yeah. Okay. That's I the reality. That. And so those people, they might start having quite a powerful following. And so that yeah. might be through medium and that's kind of got a monetization piece to it. But if you're doing that through TikToks or you're doing that through LinkedIn, LinkedIn or whatever, at what point do you become a scale where by you are actually of financial value to someone yeah. else so there's this is i think this is going to change this year as well because there's so much talk about nano influencers so i think i we used to say like oh five or ten thousand followers is kind of about the stage where brands would reach out to you or on, start reaching out on any platform on instagram definitely because ten thousand you got the you used to get the swipe up access which right. now now everyone can use link stickers so oh. now people are becoming commercialized far earlier you see this with tiktok as well you don't need a following to have a big audience because you can go viral for one TikTok that just happens to do well. Yeah. You, like it's content first rather than creator first. So I think if you get to about 5,000 followers on any platform, you can start thinking about Even it. LinkedIn? Even LinkedIn. Wow. There, there are going to be more opportunities this year for it. But I will say a few things. One, make sure you're not doing it for vanity reasons because you can also fall down a platform where you're spending loads of time not focusing on your business and it looks like you're selling out yes and then people won't want to come to you for advice because you're selling the most valuable thing you had is that trusting relationship with the audience so that first brand deal is huge to consider we just we were just a, a big youtube creators first brand deal um bald and bankrupt 
hair hair lot. No, no. His uh, he's called Bald and Bankrupt. He travels the world. He's really cool. He just did a sponsorship for Surfshark, and it took us three years to get him to do it. Wow. Because he he didn't want to sell out, and actually. That's one of the reasons his audience love him. One of my friend's boyfriends watches him and she and he was watching the the the, the um YouTube video on TV and he suddenly shouted to his girlfriend like, No! Jenny's got to him. <laughs> it that. wasn't me, it was on the team. But I like but it took three years of reaching out to him because but he knows the value of his audience. So I think people need to be more reticent. So well, that, I mean that's that's a really good good point. Is there an environment whereby having a partnership increases your brand value yes it can be seen as legitimizing but it depends like some of the there was a creator we worked with the train line and um he got used in their paid ads and people from his school saw it and were like oh my god you're a real influencer now i saw you in an advert that's great that's legitimizing that's re- when that's you want really to be legitimization a creator. you need it's just your mates from school just thinking you're a real deal i mean I, th- I think that's what a lot of people want I actually but I if you want to be an influencer that. that is what you want right whereas for for me the validation wouldn't be from like a entrepreneurship awards or followings it would be from like is the revenue like how's the EBITDA doing how's the revenue at the company How's the staff? How's the office? And that's where I think a lot of founders get really distracted because they're like, oh, I got this award. And you're like, why? Why is that important to you? Yes. Like, I... are you building a successful business? Yes or no? People forget that it's very, very hard to pay a salary with an award. Yeah. I know. I tried to pay rent with my landlord, just wouldn't accept my award. I literally as, went uh... to the producer the other day, Rosie. I was like, Rosie, look, would you mind if I just gave you, I actually got some really nice emails from some people telling me yeah. that I did a great job. Would you mind if I paid you that this yeah, month? Yeah. Weirdly, she said yes, but she's she a very positive yes, person. Yeah. So she is. Fine. You actually yeah. gave her a gold star. She's actually paid in stars. Yeah. yeah her, her, her clothes are all made out of stars because that's the only way she can, she can uh, keep warm. Yeah. No, I just, I don't. And that's the thing. I think people get so distracted. So if you're going to step into that stage where you're going to recommend a product or be an influencer as a founder, make sure it's a product that's actually useful. Make sure you frame it in a way where it doesn't sound like you're just selling out to the first thing and that it's something you actually use. So when you pitch that to your audience, be really careful with how you explain how it's helping them as well as you. I like that. Um, so look, you're, you're basically a massive deal and you've worked <laughs> with some really big names. Rolls-Royce, NHS, Made.com, Universal. These are some real household names and some really aspirational brands. Um, NHS is probably not an aspirational brand. Most people try to avoid them, but the uh, but you know what I mean. And what are some of the sort of key learnings that you've learned working with brands at that scale that brands at startup scale can learn from? Honestly, a lot of those brands are the ones who focus more on brand awareness and performance. And it's really interesting because startups could teach them a lot about performance marketing a lot of the time. We're, they definitely want us to do these like big brand awareness campaigns that look polished and all oh, the creators are so perfect. And um, oh, they've never drunk alcohol in their lives, like stuff like that. Very um, polished types of influencer marketing, which I actually think startup brands don't care so much about the polish because they get the authenticity. So it was really funny working with those big brands. You're suddenly like, wow, this is so legitimizing. Like this has really legitimized the company and legitimized digital voices. But underneath, the campaigns often aren't the most impressive in terms of influence marketing because they often approach it from a really old school traditional marketing perspective 
where they see how they see influencers as though they should be their brand ambassadors and should be these polished celebrity figures. But one of the powers of influencers is that they fuck up sometimes. They're really vulnerable. They're like open about their lives. They're they're not um, the most polished people. And that's why you watch them, because you actually feel like you know a real person. So I think those big brands, um, for startups, I say don't be fooled. Like, I think they are great and they're brilliant, but don't get distracted by brand purpose messaging or brand awareness messaging the way they do. If you're a startup, keep focusing on the performance part and scaling. And then as you get bigger, do brand awareness activations at key moments through the year. Um, Because I think sometimes those big brands are missing out on vast potential by not doing influence marketing in the best way. I love that. I love that. So we spoke a bit Mm. earlier about becoming an influencer. Um, and you worked at YouTube for 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 a long time, um, and you worked with a lot of talent there. What are your top tips for people who are trying to raise their profile, whether that be a business or an individual? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say like two things. One, never underestimate consistency, and I think that's the same with so many parts of our lives that we like. We wish consistency didn't work, but consistency does. Correct. Um, and that's the thing. You never know what will do really well and blow up because it can be a video you spent 20 minutes on it can be a video you spent a month on but you never know which is gonna do well so you need to experiment consistently so consistently put content out but often experiment with different formats experiment with different types of posts that really really helps and then once something works keep doing it and so that's where kind of consistency comes in we used to say to creators all the time like please have a content calendar just please like, please have a regular posting day on YouTube so people know when to look out for your stuff. Like, that is so powerful because it means your community come to see you as part of their routine. The other thing is that I think a lot of people get really, really nervous and become perfectionists over their content because they like don't want something to be public that isn't perfect. Um, I know you and I get everything right all the time. Every perfect. time. Every but time. Um, the thing is, if you fail with content on social media just no one sees it that's fine it's not like you're failing on a concert like in a stadium at a concert and you're on stage and a hundred thousand people are watching you it's not like you're failing on tv and millions of people will watch you fail if your content's bad no one will see it so just keep trying new things don't let yourself be stopped by perfectionism I love that. I can actually attest to that a little bit I am um, I'm I'm re- I like it LinkedIn I like it as yeah. a platform um, and I'm definitely an influencer, definitely, self-proclaimed. Same, yeah. Oh, uh, have, you, have you got contacts at LinkedIn, the creative program? Okay, too much. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, um, I, on the regular, will get between like 50, I post a lot, between 50 and 100 likes, yeah. you know, interactions. And occasionally I'll get a, a 300, occasionally I'll get a, a 250, a 500 mm. or whatever. But I think about it quite a lot. I plan quite a lot. And one morning... I had an idea for a post and I just wrote it on the way in on the tube and I got 5,000 likes and over a million views and by far the most I've ever had. And I went over that 10,000 follower threshold and it's bizarre because all of a sudden you're, you're like, oh, amazing. Maybe this is going to be the future. 
next post 15 likes <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just like you just got to keep going all the time and you don't know what's going to be viral but provided you're constantly adding a reason for someone to interact with you or look at your content and some of those you say occasionally something's going to happen someone's going to share it and then it's going to go massive yeah it's got like a range of so you've, you're working within a range right you're like i know this type of content is what i normally make i normally talk about entrepreneurship and stuff so great i'll make something around that and then hopefully some of them will do well. It's like taking a calculated risk once you've got the type of content right. I like that. One thing I love, every single founder, and you're a founder first and foremost, and you've been incredibly successful. Um, and no, it was, it was an insult. <laughs> okay. You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Why on earth did you start it's, a company? It, you are insane. It's the worst yeah. experience ever. Yeah. Um, but you've, yeah. you've been incredibly successful. What is your one tip that you would give to every other founder um that has helped you to succeed delegate so i think nice. founders are so often type a and often really focused on getting everything right they're like oh I'm, I'm, i'll take this on myself and you often fall into a pit where you forget that you can ask for help and i think being really open about asking people what you asking for the help they could give you because I often don't do it enough. And when I do ask, I'm like, oh yeah, I can shortcut all this learning by just talking to someone and being open about something I'm struggling with. That really helps. And then also delegating, like when you delegate, really delegate. Like someone will not make the same decision as you and they won't have the same thought process as you, but you hire them because they're better than you at a certain thing. So a certain way of thinking, a certain specialism. And literally hire them, give them enough as much money as you can afford for that role and delegate and take it out of your head. Because you, you're not going to be the best producer. You're not going to be the best at SEO. That is completely fine. I want that to be someone else's worry. And it, it frees up so much so you can do strategic things. It makes your life much easier. I'm so into that. I think the most enlightening moment in my life as a founder was realising that I am grossly incompetent at basically everything. <laughs> Apart from making people believe in themselves, I'm basically that's a really good skill. I'm though. basically rubbish at everything else. Yeah. Um. Last one. Um. Yeah. I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to fight you over it. What is one thing within the startup community that you hate? We call it the startup sin bin that you would love to chuck into the bin and get rid of it. What do you think I'm going to? You said something on you said something on LinkedIn recently, and I was like, you are definitely fan grabbing here. I know what you're up to. Oh, was it about um people? talking about how hard they work no. and how they deserve their success oh no that's no. that i agree with that, okay yeah yeah what, what but i mean i thought you said i i don't like when people say we shouldn't glamorize hustle culture yeah i'm like i think you should glamorize hustle culture yeah. you just shouldn't brag about it yeah, yeah exactly you, like, don't act like it's a good thing don't act like your disorder is a good thing yeah, yeah. i'm obsessed with work that's awful yeah. that's so bad for everyone's work life balance but i'm just like guys if you want to work like, don't let anyone fucking tell you when you can and can't work if you want to yeah. work hard work hard if you don't want to work hard don't work hard yeah. but you don't have to fucking tell me about it yeah don't i know exactly me. it's your it's your own problem and it is a problem i like i should not be working at 8 p.m that is sad well no you, of course you can fine. Course i can, can but i i don't well, glamorize not. it well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you want to work at 8pm, that's your progressive. Yeah. If you will, you, the yeah. fact is, if you work harder and smarter, you will yeah. achieve more. Sorry, world. Okay. Yeah. That's how it works. But yeah. I don't need you to, people, not you, I'm saying yeah. people don't need to go on to LinkedIn and just say to me, oh, you know, yeah, I, you know, I think if you're working really hard all the time, that's not success. Well, it's a path to it, mate. 
Like, stop giving me such a hard time. If I want to work with, yeah, it's not a path. Yeah. Yeah, If you don't, if you can work one hour a day and be successful, amazing. But I realised this. I wasn't raised, you know, they're like, um, work smarter, not harder. My parents never raised me on that. My parents were like, your homework's not good enough. Rip it up. Like, I love my parents, but it was intense. And, and so... When when people find smart, quick solutions thing, and they're like, oh, I found a lazy way, much better. I am so jealous of those people. I'm like, oh my God, I would love to work like that. But how on earth did I think like I should be ticking all the boxes and achieving all the things? Like that's so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> how, also, because it means you attach your self-worth to accolades, which I think is really unhealthy. I agree with you with that, yeah. yeah. I am. I'm, I was at school, I used to lie about how much work I would do. I would get up before everyone else and I'd work before school, with study Oxbridge. before school. Yeah. And then what I'd do is I'd go and I'd say to my mates, they'd be like, like, what did you get in the exam? Like, A star, mate. Just easy, barely even revised. How much sleep did you get? 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but obviously I wouldn't tell them that. Yeah, I just rock up and this happened. The most uh, stressful pet stage of my life was in year eight. This sounds so sad. But there was a girl I was friends with who um wouldn't, said we weren't allowed to do homework so she was like yeah yeah we're not allowed to do homework we'll just come in early and do it and I was like okay and being the like law-abiding person I am and people pleaser I was like which I'm trying to break because being a people pleaser is so such a waste of your time um I was like okay I won't I won't do any work and I'll come in early and do it in the morning but I started turning up at school before the gates opened so I'd and I developed insomnia because I was so stressed about it so I was the least happy 14 year old you've ever seen I was turning up at 13 14 I was turning up at school before the gates opened really stressed with my work like manically this, this, doing this, work. This is, I was like this is the opposite of nonchalance I know but this is the most amazing this is the most middle class bullying story I've ever heard in my life it wasn't bullying we were friends yeah yeah yeah, yeah. really good really good but yeah um, and then I eventually I had to stop being friends because I was like I can't cope with this what What's her name? Just in giving it a shout out. Jane. Hey, Jane. Jane. Hey, Jane. Hey, Jane. I wish I'd learnt more from you. I, I instead <laughs> Jane, punished come, myself. Jane, you're welcome to come on the show anytime. Oh, it was so stressful. Okay, <laughs> on on that heartbreaking moment, some real <laughs> some real tear jerkers today. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, you've been great. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Jenny Quigley Jones. Um, <laughs> yeah, check out. I check. love I love saying your name so much because it sounds like a detective. Hi, Jenny Quigley Jones. Jenny Quigley Jones. solving the crime. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. This was great. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, bye. Thanks for having me.